0: advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is Katie Hughes. Katie is a social worker by training and a carpenter by trade. She is the founder and executive director of the nonprofit organization Girls Build and the author of the newly released book, Girls Who Build, inspiring curiosity and confidence to make anything possible. She has recently been featured on CNN, and the Hazard Girls Facebook group is just buzzing with the release of her new book. We are so pleased to have her here with us today. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for taking the time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm sure your book release has you a little busy right now.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. It's kind of like a birthday, I was realizing. Like, it's a lot of excitement and you feel really special, but you don't really know what to do. So,
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone's keeping you pretty busy with interviews and wanting to hear all about the book and telling you how much they love it.
1: Yes. Luckily, yes. Absolutely.
0: Congratulations on that. Thank you. So I want to hear a little bit about your background. So I read that you are a social worker by training. How did you Mm -hmm. get into carpentry?
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. So I graduated with my degree in social work. And after I graduated, I wanted to spend a year volunteering. So I did a year of AmeriCorps through Habitat for Humanity. Okay. And when I went there, I already had some basic building skills. I grew up on a farm on 10 acres. So there's a lot that goes with that already, just like... Maintenance of animal pens and fences yeah. and just manual labor, it's not a ton of manual labor. But when I moved out, I moved out to Pennsylvania. And when I did that, I really learned how to. F- frame a house. And that was really cool. I mean, I learned not only how to frame a house, but how to do every part of it. Because when you work for Habitat, you build everything from the foundation through to the paint. And so I got to learn how to do that, which was really cool. And framing was my favorite part, which is kind of, you know, building the structure of the house. Mm -hmm. And then my year was up and I had my degree in social work. So I moved back to Portland and I wanted to get a job in social work. I was really excited about that. And Basically, I came at a time when jobs were really hard to come by, social work degrees. You kind of had to have your master's, and I only had my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. I only had my practicum experience from college. So I just didn't bring a lot to the table, and I wasn't getting any callbacks. And meanwhile, I had rented a house with my friend Molly, and I needed to pay rent. And so Mm -hmm. I volunteered with Habitat for a week on something called a Blitz Build, which is just a bunch of people that come out and build a lot of houses at once. And while I was out there, I was working these like 15 hour days and I was framing and this this guy who's a contractor, his name is Ken. He said, Hey, I, I'm looking for a framer. You seem like a great framer. Are you interested? And it's super interesting to me because if I hadn't been desperate to pay my rent, I would have said, Oh no, I'm, you know, I really want to focus on my social work, Yeah. but I had to make rent. So I said, absolutely took that uh-huh. job and everything just
0: kind of went from there. Wow, so you really fell into it through Habitat for Humanity.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I had volunteered with Habitat in college too, so I did have some experience with them before I went out there, but absolutely. Yeah, spending a year building houses really I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I I realized it was my my happy place. Mm-hmm. And then when I was doing it for a contractor, I still really enjoyed it, you know, cuz part of the great part of Habitat is you are doing it. You know, it's more fun. But even yeah. doing it for a job, I found really enjoyable. So Yeah, that's what I did for many, many years.
0: Okay. So you were working as a carpenter then at that point. Did you know that you were going to stay in that field or did you think maybe you would go back to social work?
1: Oh, I definitely always thought I would go back to social work and in a way, I, I feel like I did. I yeah. my mom when I graduated or when I was working as a carpenter. My mom kept saying, because I was the first one in my family to go to college. And so I think my mom was like excited for me to you know use my degree. Yeah. And she kept saying, I just don't know how you're going to combine social work and carpentry, Katie. <laughs> and I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> I did. I figured it out. <laughs> That's so great. Well, your mission with your nonprofit organization, Girls Build, is to, and tell me if I'm getting this right, to build curiosity and confidence in girls through the construction trades.
1: Through the world of building, but yes. The world of
0: building. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about Girls Build? What is it? Who is it for? And who does it serve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Girls Build is a nonprofit. We were founded in 2016 by me, but also with the help and support of a lot of tradeswomen in the Portland area who were excited to see it move forward. Girls Build is a majority of what we do is summer camps for girls. So we do these 40-hour week-long summer camps for 40 girls at a time. We serve eight to 14-year-olds. And um, this year we were actually going to open up to 15-year-olds, but then COVID happened. Mm. But we have leadership positions starting for when you're 15. And then we actually have paid positions once they're 16 so they can actually come back and teach us their summer jobs if they want which is really exciting yeah and basically over the course of a week at summer camp they do we try to do as many trades as possible so they do carpentry they do finish and rough carpentry they do sheet metal plumbing electrical painting roofing tree trimming We do, we have the firefighters come out, we have the water bureau come out, and they do, the girls do these huge, they call them big pipes, so big pipe repairs where the water's like shooting 20 feet into the air and they have to use these enormous wrenches
0: to shut it down. Oh, they must love that.
1: Oh, they love it. We do it every year. It's the only thing we repeat every year. They just adore it. Yeah. And our idea with trying to do as many trades as possible is that you just never know what's going to strike one of the girls and, you yeah. know, be the thing that she loves. And my favorite story of that is we were, the summer gets actually pretty hot in Portland. And so we were hosing the girls down this one year, we were hosing them down every hour just to uh-huh. keep them nice and cool. Cause they would just, you know, they'd get dry within a few minutes. And we were doing that as kind of a safety measure to keep them nice and cool. And one of the instructors comes over to me and says, Hey, one of the girls, she wants to continue roofing and skip playing in the water.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And I was like, well, (laughs) I never would have guessed that roofing was her gateway trade, but absolutely. (laughs) If she wants to roof, she can keep roofing. And so you just never know, you know, for me, it's carpentry, but you just, you don't know. And to let them, to let girls kind of see the wide variety of things out there and how different you can be within the trades and, and just how important that is to kind of let them feel good and feel competent at something because, you know, they're going to drive a nail on their first day of camp and maybe they're not good. But then later on in the day, they've been sheet metal and they're like, wow, I'm so good at this. I really like this. So, so we try to do that. And then who we serve. So we serve girls 8 to 14 years old. We work really hard to make sure that we're not just serving folks. Who, so we, it is a paid camp, but about half of our participants are on scholarships. And Mm -hmm. all of our programming is open to kids who are currently or have ever been in foster care free of charge. So foster kids can, you know, they can do, we do after school classes and things like that. So they can actually participate in all of that all year long for their whole lives for Mm -hmm. free. And we have a high percentage of girls who do participate from foster care because um, it is also like a really consistent thing for them. It's the same instructors. It's kind of a home base for them. So we really Mm -hmm. like that. And we do extra outreach to make sure that it's just like a diverse group of girls in in as many ways as possible.
0: It's amazing. So is this mostly on the West Coast?
1: Yes, it's primarily in Oregon, but we've done camps in Seattle and we were actually supposed to do a camp in Boise, Idaho this year, but we had to cancel because of COVID.
0: Is it on the radar to be expanding into other regions?
1: You know, it kind of is. I find it hard to say no when someone, when a funder comes and says we have
0: yeah.
1: full funding for a week of camp, which is like between fifty and $70,000 for one week. And they want us to come, if it's a good fit, we try to make it work, but yeah. we don't, we try also to not spread ourselves too thin. We know that like for it to be a quality program, we have to all be there. We have a core of instructors who kind of travel with us everywhere because we do 11 weeks of camp so far each year. So they go to all of those weeks of camp and they are just incredible role models. They know what they're doing. And the hard part of the job is not the carpentry or trades part of it. It's really the kid part of it. And so Mm -hmm. to find people who can be safe with the kids and be cheerful at 6 a.m. and cheerful at 6 p.m., that's a hard person to find. So once we find those wonderful, amazing
0: um, instructors, we hang on to them. So yeah, no, those people are gold. (laughs) I know what you mean. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) What was your impetus in starting Girls Build? So
1: I worked for another nonprofit for seven years. And when I started at that nonprofit, I started their summer girls summer camp program. And after seven years, I left that nonprofit. And a year after I left, they actually cut their girls program entirely. And a bunch of tradeswomen kept coming to me and saying, what are we going to do? We really are concerned about the future of women in the trades. What can we do? And it took someone kind of basically like slamming the idea over my head one day (laughs) by saying, she goes, Katie, you know that when we're saying what, what should we do? We're saying, what will you do? And I was, <laughs> oh, I get it oh. now. <laughs> yeah. It's all coming together. And it was actually really cool because I had spent already, you know, seven years doing the program and I knew it really well. And so starting starting a nonprofit can be a terrifying experience, but when, you know, I felt very confident in the in the what of the nonprofit, I just need to work out the how, and I think that got me really far. Plus I just had incredible incredible support system around me here in Portland. Basically in November of 2015, I kind of started the process and then we were officially founded in in February of 2016 and our first summer camp was that summer, 2016, and we did two weeks of camp for 80 girls.
0: Amazing. I read a quote by you where you said, women are underrepresented in the trades due to factors such as gender norms and society instilling perfectionism in girls, dissuading them from trying new things. And I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. The idea of perfectionism, how do you think that affects girls' confidence? And how can something like carpentry or the trades help improve that?
1: I think there's a lot of pressure on girls, honestly, on people in general, but especially with girls given kind of all the pressure that society already puts on them. But now with social media, they have this opportunity to kind of like create who they are and only show one side to their peers and to the world. Mm -hmm. And the more that they do that the more they they're going to feel like they they can't be themselves that they can't try new things because if you try something new you could fail and you're going yeah. to fail so publicly and i think it makes girls more withdrawn and less you know less fun less creative less willing to do what their heart desires and follow their passions and so the thing i really love about the trades in general is you're going to mess up absolutely, Mm -hmm. you are going to mess up. And the more you mess up, the more you learn. And that's just the nature of it. That is how you learn the trade. You can't read about it. You have to practice, 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 and you're going to fail the whole time. And I think there's something to that failure for for girls where the first time they try something, they're very nervous to try it because they don't know how to do it. We hear that a lot. Oh, I don't know how to do that. And it's like, yeah, either did I before (laughs) the hammer, you know, and Mm -hmm. neither did any, neither did any of your peers that are doing it right now around you, but as they fail, you see them rolling with it a lot more easily. And then you also see the other participants, the other campers just helping problem solve together. So you're not Mm -hmm. only showing girls that failure is okay. You're also showing them that they can actually come together. To work on that failure together as a team, and that they are, that you can rely on your friends and you can rely on your peers, and they're not gonna make fun of you. They're not gonna say you shouldn't have tried it in the first place. They're gonna say, Mm -hmm. That was a great idea. I wanna help you finish this idea. What can we do? And it's really amazing to see that. And the other part that I love about failure, especially when you're building, is it can end up being what you end up building might be greater than what you had planned and i love it when that mm-hmm. happens because they're like oh no i put this piece of wood here and it wasn't the right size or it wasn't the right color and it's like well you could take it off or you can add one next to it that matches or you could paint it or you can paint the other one you know it's just like yeah i'm realizing that the world is malleable mm-hmm. and they they do have some ownership over it and i think that's really powerful powerful for girls
0: I think that's amazing. I think we do need to celebrate failure as much as possible because it it causes us to try new things. I mean, even as mm-hmm. adults, we are paralyzed with that fear and there is no way to break through to the next level without it. So I, I love that you're doing that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You've talked a lot about how it's not so much about getting girls necessarily to go into the trades as a career although that's great too but it's also a lot about building confidence so how is building and the trades beneficial to girls confidence can it play a factor in that you know that time period where studies have shown that confidence just plummets in girls right yes yeah can it can it play a factor in helping girls maintain their confidence during that time period
1: i believe so one of my favorite stories is a first year camper I think she was young, maybe 10 or nine. And her mom emailed me after camp was over and she said, I need to tell you this thing that happened. We were walking and she said, mom, stay right there. And then she just walked away from her mom. And she walked about 10 steps and turned back to her mom and said, look, did you see my swagger? (laughs) And it was just incredible. Yeah. It's how openly she, she really felt that confidence boost. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think a lot of it comes from that failure again. I think when they fail and they come bounce back from it. And honestly, you know, when you're building, you're failing all the time and you bounce back super quickly, the more you do it. I think that they kind of realize like, oh, nobody can take this from me. I've built a house. Like we build a house over the court, a playhouse over the course of the week at camp. I've framed walls. I've bent metal, I've Mm -hmm. climbed to the very top of a tree, I have shot a fire hose, like Mm -hmm. all these things that are are physically really big. I think there is something really powerful and confidence boosting in doing the big heavy things And, and looking around you and having everyone say like, oh yeah, absolutely, you can do that. And once a girl builds a house, the secret's out. For her, mm-hmm. like, oh, I actually am tough and I am strong and I am capable. Yeah, and it I becomes part of her identity. Really absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, and the more they do it, you know, we have a lot of girls who come back year after year and I truly love that because... And mostly they're girls who are not going to go into the trades. And, and I will say this, some of the girls have already gone into the trades, which is just an amazing thing to see too. But yeah. some of them are just going to pursue whatever other dream it was that they have and do it so wonderfully and wildly and passionately. And I love seeing that too.
0: Well, I got the book last night. It's oh, amazing. great. <laughs> oh, it's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. My daughter loved it too. Oh, good. And just a couple of quotes from the book. And I wanted to read that these are quotes from some of the girls in the book. Building makes me feel strong, big, powerful, and important. And then another one, I build because it shows who I am and what I can be. Another girl said, no matter how much you struggle, the more you let things go, the faster it will become the past. So these are just some really powerful quotes from the book. I would love to hear a little bit about what made you decide to turn this huge project into something even huger, which is a book.
1: (laughs) Oh, first of all, I don't think I realized how much work it was going to be when I said that sounds like a fun idea. (laughs) I mean, essentially, I had been doing girls build for a few years and I just meet so many incredible girls. And I think that that is part of life. Like the more you get to know people, you realize that people can be so incredible. And I also just saw a lot of the girls overcoming a lot and still showing up, just showing up, you know, being there for it 100%. And some of the girls in that book, you know, like Suchitra, she has cerebral palsy. She was at our first year of camp and she was killing it. Yeah. She has come back to camp year after year. She's now one of our leaders. And I think I just wanted to show a different side of construction because we associate construction, even when we're asking little girls, like, who did you learn from? You say, oh, like, did your dad teach you that? Or did your mm-hmm. uncle teach you that? You don't say, did your mom teach you that? You know, or your mm-hmm. sister. And I wanted to show the variety of girls building. And I wanted to show like the strength of character in all these incredible girls who were doing something bold and different and um, something that um, maybe not a lot of kids or other girls in their peer group or in their school were doing. That's kind of where the idea took hold.
0: Well, like I said, my daughter really responded to it. The first thing she did was she looked at all the photos of the girls and their projects. And she, she first she looked at the girls, and then she wanted to really look at the projects. She's seven, um, and she can Oh, read. great! Okay, great. And um, I loved how you represented, as like you mentioned, you represented girls from different places and backgrounds. So were these all girls from your camp, or were they? Where were they from? How did you find them?
1: Yeah, a handful were from our camps. I actually just did a lot of like. Searching, like internet searching, social media searching, following different hashtags to find other nonprofits that did similar work is the main way that I did it. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to represent girls from all over the country and in Mexico. So I would really hone in on a region. And, and, you know, like when I was, I really wanted to find girls from the South. So I was able to find like electric girls in new Orleans, which was great. I really wanted some like middle of the country. So I was able to find Colorado. I just really wanted to show that it's not where you live or who you live with or how you live. It's everyone. It's It's girls in New York City apartments. Yeah. It's girls, you know, in in very rural Colorado. It's girls in Mexico. You know, I just wanted to show that so that every girl would look through. Because what I see... And our camps is when girls arrive at camp, we have a wide range of instructors and you never know who they're going to click with, right? It could be mm-hmm. someone who looks and acts just like them, or it could be someone who looks and acts the opposite of them. And for whatever reason it clicks. And so I wanted in the book for any girl to look through it and pause. And say, like, oh, like what she's saying I like that too. Or I do that too. Or the way she's holding Mm. that, that reminds me of something I want to be or whatever it might be. And just to show, yeah, like, especially some of the girls, like Bailey, she's like, adorable. And I didn't learn until later that she only has one eye. Mm. And so I was like, Oh, let's please put that in the interview. Because I think that's so important for girls to know, like, she's She's overcome something herself in her young life. She's like mm-hmm. seven or eight. So I just really wanted you know that's kind of what I wanted, and I really sought it out geographically and then as well as just kind of looking hard just to make sure I was picking girls who were diverse, I guess, yeah.
0: yeah, I think that's a great idea, especially thinking about, well, you grew up on a farm, we live in the city, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it it's, it was nice to see that variety so that it's not just like you don't have to live on a farm. My daughter's favorite project in the book is Reba's Salvaged Shelf. She loved the idea of taking something that already existed and repurposing it to make something new out of it. And then she started delving into the instructions and she really responded to the numbered step-by-step illustrations. Oh, good. It made it seem doable to her, I think. So what was your process like in creating the book? How, how long did it take you? And was it a team effort? Did you have to hire illustrators? How did you do that?
1: Yeah, the great part is that I actually was picked up by a publisher at the very beginning of this, so I didn't have before I um, I did the proposal and then was picked up by a publisher, so I didn't have to do this kind of on my own. I I did have it with great support from Black Dog and Leventhal. They hired the illustrator. The hilarious part of the whole thing that my friends make fun of me for endlessly is that I had to do the illustrations first and then send them okay. over. <laughs> And my illustrations are terrible, so terrible. And I would send them to my friends and be like, guess what I'm illustrating here? And they'd have to figure it out. And it was just like so terrible. The drawing um, is not your thing. <laughs> drawing is not my thing. And even the publisher was like, or my editor was like, oh, I'm sure it's better than I had. Well, and I was also drawing on an iPad because I wanted to just be able to send them over, which is just way harder than like pen and paper. Yeah she was like i'm sure they're better than mine and i'm sure when she got them she was like oh never mind they're not better than mine <laughs> that part was really i mean it was it was fun funny but then it ended up being really hard the photos i would i feel so lucky because you know we were doing we were traveling all last year doing doing photographs all over the country all over you know north mm-hmm. america essentially and if it had been one year later i couldn't have completed the book yeah. because of covid yeah. I'm super grateful for that, but it was basically a year, a hard year. So I I finished my proposal in June of 2018, and then I, I got picked up by my publisher that same June. I signed my contract in September of 2018, and started uh, that month in September. And basically, it was due August 1st of 2019. So I did one to two projects. one to two Locations per month from September through May is basically how it worked. And it was just a lot of traveling and a lot of writing. And yeah, I have two young kids. So I would leave the house after putting them to bed and I would get a margarita and some nachos and I would eat at the local taqueria and just type away. And they didn't, they learned to not bother me and let me just kind of do my thing. And yeah, I mean, it was a lot of work. There was originally supposed to be forty projects. That's what I agreed to, even though I had said like that's going to be too much. After I think probably fifteen projects, I said this this book is going to be like a thousand pages long if we do forty <laughs> right. projects. So they dialed it back, mm-hmm. and we did twenty five, and then we dialed it back even from there. Once we got those all in, well, So it's
0: very rich in material, and I just I want to really emphasize that this is a beautiful coffee table style, beautifully photographed book, and it would make an amazing gift. So I encourage everyone to, I'm going to post links, but I encourage everyone to check it out immediately. Where can everyone go to find the book and where can they find you?
1: Yeah. So you can find the book anywhere books are sold, your favorite local bookstores, but I would encourage, you can always look at the Black Dog and Leventhal website to find it through them. And then you can find me, my Instagram handle is KT, like the letters K and T, Mm -hmm. Hughes, and then girlsbuild underscore org, and then girls who build book. And then we're also on Facebook just at girlsbuild
0: awesome well katie we love having you in the hazard girls group everyone is so excited about your projects and i think pretty much everyone is reading the book right now (laughs) so (laughs) and you've probably had a very busy week with the release of girls who build so thank you so much for taking the time today to join us
1: absolutely thank you for your interest and for helping showcase something really exciting and empowering for our girls
0: You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Solaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.